look through the news or we're looking at um, things that we see online or reading in the newspaper, we just uh, can be a little bit overwhelmed, can't we? We think about the virus and what's going to happen with that. We, we think about vaccine and is the vaccine going to come and when's it going to come and uh, who's going to get it, right? What, what company will find, what country will find that first and, and how will it be distributed around the world? Uh, we have a big election that's looming in the U.S. and I know just a, an election uh, last few days in Singapore. There are political changes that are going on in different places. The situation in Hong Kong just seems to continue like a pot. It just boils over and over and over and just seems like there's uh, just not a great uh, answer for that situation. I was reading about uh, the mayor in Seoul this week and just hearing about the, the difficulty and the, tradness, the, uh, the tragedy, the sadness of, of all that's going on uh, in that family and what's going on there. We, we think about schools. Are they going to open and when they're going to open? How, what will that look like? It's just so much of what we're dealing with now is, um, just feels like turmoil. It feels like uncertainty. And so uh, it's great for us to have, to have some, some assurance, right? The blessed assurance that we're not uh, living anymore in uncertainty. When will the border open? When can we go here? When can we go there? Any of these kinds of things, we uh, will instead just be able to rest in the certainty of who we are. One of the comforting truths I think that we see in our text today is that Jesus knew the future. He knew the future. And I think it's just an incredible, it's an incredible truth for us to try to get uh, a hold of. Things seem so uncertain, uh, but we know for sure that Jesus is, uh, that Jesus is in complete control. Can you see the PowerPoint? That, that look okay? If not, you send, send a message maybe at the bottom and um, maybe I'll be able to get, get that fixed out. So let's look, if we can, in uh, Mark chapter 14. And we're going to look today at verses 12 through 25. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. On the first day of, the, uh, on the first day of unleavened bread... When they had sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of, that, of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Verse 15. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city, and they found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was the evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the, at table and eating, Jesus said, uh, "Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me." Then verse nineteen it says, "They began to be sorrowful." and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better if that man would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Verse 22, and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, this take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, 
he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for uh, the love that you have for us. And we thank you for the opportunity to gather together, even in this virtual way, and look at your word today. Lord, I thank you for the truth that we can uh, sing, Lord. I thank you for the words that we can hide in our heart. And I thank you, God, for the fellowship that we have, that uh, as brothers and sisters through the week, that we can uh, talk and we can be an encouragement and we can be a challenge to one another. Lord, I know many of us are uh, are traveling and people are, are uh, stuck in some sense in one place or another. And so we pray for mercy on those families. We we pray for Shabazz and Nasreen and for their girls as they prepare to get that visa and go to Canada. Lord, we pray for Terrence and Danny and others who, um, and their family that are trying to get to the UK. Lord, we pray for other situations. We know people who uh, probably have gone out that need to get back. And so we pray for uh, help for them. We pray, God, for family members countries and maybe we're separated from them and not uh, able to see them for uh, quite a long time for some of us. And so we just pray for your spirit to bless and guide in there. And we ask that you would speak to us in the next few minutes. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help me to decrease, that you might increase. And I pray that you would speak to us. Would you open up your word that we might really understand? And would you open up our hearts, Lord, that we might be fertile soil, that the, the word might fall in us and that it would produce a crop, Lord, that's going to resound to your everlasting glory. So we do thank you for the chance to be together. We ask that you will bless our time and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, here we are. We're seeing that Jesus knows the future. That's one of the things that I want us to see, that Jesus, he, uh, he knows what's going to uh, happen. Things seem uncertain to us, but just because they seem uncertain to us does not mean that they are uncertain. They, they seem uncertain to us because we don't know, but they're not uncertain. So Here's, I want, to, I want to show you three different places. Jesus knew about the guy with the jar. Jesus knew in advance. It, it's not normal in this time for a man to be carrying water, especially through the streets. This is something that the women would be doing. And so Jesus says, go and find this man. This is the Passover week. It's the Passover week. And everyone wants to be in Jerusalem during Passover week. And so the city in those days would swell to Five times, five times its normal population. So you already have an overcrowded area, and now it's five times the normal capacity, the busiest time of the entire year. And Jesus says, go and find this man that's going to be carrying a water jug. He's, they're only supposed to find one person. There's only one guy that they're supposed to find, and you should follow that one guy to the place that he's going. And that is going to be the place that we will host and have our dinner. There are plenty of people who say, oh, this is just kind of a prearranged sort of signal. This is just a thing. Did Jesus said, uh, you have a guy come and then I'll tell my disciples to follow him. But the truth is, we can see that uh, in the city that's, that's this crowded at that time, they would have a very difficult time finding just one guy who was out there trying to get, uh, trying to get this water uh, from one place to another. It just, it strikes me as, possible sure it's possible but uh, highly unlikely that in this city at this time that they would find this one guy jesus knew where the guy would be and he knew that that would be a sign for them that's the first thing jesus knew about the guy with the jar then secondly he knew he knew that he was going to be 
betrayed at the dinner, Jesus, he knows things are drawing to a close. He knows that, um, that this, is, uh, this is nearly the end of what's, uh, what's going to be his, uh, his life and ministry in the way that it has been going. The other Gospels give us lots of details that Mark doesn't furnish here. From Luke's Gospel, we know that it was Peter and John, Peter and John, who went to prepare for the dinner. Uh, for, um, from John, we know that it was Judas who was going to betray him. Jesus knew these things. He knew that he was, we knew, he knew that the, the dinner was going to come together. He knew that he would be betrayed and he knew who was going to do it. Then the last thing is, is this. Jesus knew that he would be in heaven because the last thing he says uh, when he's talking about the future, he says, future he knows he knows what's going to happen in the future he just uh it's amazing that that he has that kind of uh knowledge and that we can trust him about these things the disciples don't question uh jesus right they don't say are you sure uh, do you think this is going to happen uh, how do you know for sure it's going to happen they immediately when he says one of you is going to betray me one of you will betray me their first thought is is it me is it me? Am I going to be the one who will betray? Because they all understand, at least on some level, that they have the capacity to do things that they really shouldn't be doing. Just like those disciples, we like to think we, we know really all about ourselves. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm not capable of. I know how I would react in certain situations. But we have here, we have here, Peter this week, Peter is very uncertain. Is it me? Am I going to be the one who betrays you? But next week, but next week we're going to see Peter say, I would die before I betrayed you, right? He's super confident next week. So this week, Peter's not sure. Next week, he's super sure. And then after that, guess what? Peter denies him, just like, just like, he, uh, just like Jesus says that he will, right? So uh, it's, it's just interesting that Jesus even knows us better than we know uh, ourselves. The next thing I think that's interesting about this, and people love to talk about uh, Judas, and what is Judas's level of uh, guilt in all of this? Because Judas, did he have a choice and all these kinds of things? Was, was it really Judas's fault if he was possessed by the devil? It's a huge question that lots of people struggle with. Who is responsible for evil? Are the people who do the evil responsible? Is Satan the one who is tempting people? Is he the one that's responsible for evil? And these are big questions. They're tough. We're not going to answer them. Uh, all this morning for sure, but we're going to take a stab at a couple of things because I want us to see and understand how our behavior, what we see in Judas's life, how it really does matter in our uh, world today. First, uh, we see Judas, he just descends right into Judas. First, he's uh, tempted to betray Jesus. He's tempted to betray Jesus. We see that in uh, John chapter uh, 13. 
John chapter 13, uh, in verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into Judas Iscariot, already had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we know that the devil's already tempting uh, Judas. And so we know that this is... Here's the challenge for us as believers. We think of lots of things. Lots of things come into our mind, and, and I don't think it's, a, it's really a sin issue most of the time for a thought to come through your head. I just generally think that those are thoughts come up, and we don't have uh, control over every single thought that runs through our head. But when we start to feel tempted, when we start to feel those thoughts come to our head, that's the place for us to put sin to death. It's not a sin for these thoughts to come in, but it is a sin. When we start to grab hold of those thoughts and when we start to allow them to linger in my mind, in, in, in our minds, whether it's uh, something that we feel like is a little thing or that we feel like is a, is a big thing. So first, Satan comes and he tempts Judas. But after this temptation, Judas willingly betrays Jesus. He decides to do it. In, in, uh, I, I guess we saw this last week in uh, Mark 14, 10 and 11. Judas goes looking for the Pharisees. He goes looking for the Pharisees. Yeah, when they heard it, when he finds them and they say in verse 11, when they heard it, they were so glad and they promised to give him money and then he sought an opportunity to betray him. So Judas had the temptation first and then he acted on it by going and seeking out those Pharisees. It was, it was him that, that started this. When, when he gave into the temptation, this became an entirely different thing. When we face temptation in our lives, we can sometimes say, well, it's, it's no big deal, right? I can, I can sin. No one's going to know what I do. I can watch this. I can go there. I can do this. Uh, I, I can be in the massage parlor, any of these kinds of things. No one's going to know. And I'll just, I'll just ask the Lord to forgive me later on. We're just in a dangerous, dangerous spot when we behave like that. When we start to think, I can do this, no one will know, and then I'll just repent later and God will forgive me. It's a really dangerous place. When we choose to sin, we have to realize that we are in a dangerous spot. And so Judas, tempted by Satan, but then he willingly betrays Jesus. And then when we see here, Satan enters into Judas after he gives into this temptation. He entered in. Judas willingly chose and then uh, Satan entered, in, entered into him. We see that in John 13, it's, it's uh, 13, 21 to 27. We won't read it, but there's danger. When we're walking in sin, we open up ourselves to things that we never thought that we would do. The truth is Judas did not fall into sin. Judas walked right in. He walked in one thought at a time, one choice at a time. He just went step by step step by step and they ended up a place that he never thought he would go now i'm not saying that the devil is going to be uh, entering into you or me like he did when judas chose to sin but we should know we should know from our own personal experience that sin is easier to continue doing than it is to start doing uh angie and i were talking this week i, I like to drink coffee in the mornings right i love to drink coffee but when i started to drink coffee i would drink uh, maybe I would have my cup and I would have some milk like this and then I would have some sugar and then I would put a little coffee in the top, right? But eventually that becomes just, uh, just black coffee and you just you start to take away the sugar, you start to take away the milk maybe and then you just think, I just really like how this tastes. But probably most people, their first 
a sip of black coffee, they don't come away thinking, well, that tastes fantastic. I wish I could just be drinking that uh, all the time. That's, that's the way that these kinds of things happen. We, we, we find it easier to continue doing things than really than we do to find, uh, we find it to actually begin these kinds of things. Once we've started on, a, on this path towards some sin, our heart becomes uh, hard and we just, sometimes we find it's really difficult to get out. We find it's hard to stop doing something that we know we shouldn't be doing. And, and Judas is in this place. Once, once he's made the decision and Satan's entered in, there's not really a place to uh, turn back. And so one more thing about Judas, he was responsible for his own actions. Listen to this in uh, 1421. The son of man will go as it's written of him, but woe, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So Jesus doesn't give Judas a pass because Satan had tempted him or because Satan had entered into him. Jesus looks at, at them and says, you're going to betray me and you're going to wish you had never been born. It's going to be bad for you. It's going to be bad for you. You're going to wish that uh, you had never had any part in this. And so I think we can take away from that that Judas is, is really responsible for uh, for his own choices, and he's responsible for what he's gotten himself into. In the book of James, in chapter 1, we see this progression. It starts in uh, verse 13. James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by, uh, with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So James is saying, if you're being tempted, it's, that temptation's not coming from God. Here's the, here's the progression of verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, give birth, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's the picture that we see in Judas's life. He, he, he's enticed. He walks into that. He falls uh, deeper and deeper and deeper. And that ultimately is going to end in his death. That's the kind of trap that we get into when we're dealing with sin. So we have to see as believers that when our desires are unhealthy, we have to change them, right? That means we repent. We ask for the Holy Spirit to help us. Oh, Lord, come. I'm, I'm being tempted. I just don't feel like I can take it anymore. I need someone to come and help me. And we ask for uh, help that way. That's why God put us together in a body of believers so that we have people that we can call and say, I'm having that struggle. I'm about, I, I just, I'm so tempted to do that thing. And you, you already know what it is. And so I need you to help me with it right now. I need you to talk that we're, we're in a body like that so that we can help one another through these, these sand kind of issues that, that will continually pop up as long as we're in this human form. Okay. Back in Mark, 14 in verse 22 we see uh jesus turn his a temple uh, his attention to the to the lord's table to the first lord's supper and so uh he gives them some instruction uh on that on the on the lord's on the lord's table and and we're going to get some instruction too about why we still uh practice it today so as a normal part of this Passover meal, the, the Jews are coming together. They have their Passover meal. It happens uh, every year. And as part of that, they're, 
there are questions that they ask and there are blessings that they give and there's certain foods that are eaten in a certain order and they sing different psalms at different places. And Jesus takes these parts of what's really a very ordinary part of their life. It's not daily, but it happens every single year. Everyone knows the order. Everyone knows what's going to happen. And Jesus uh, infuses these symbols with brand new meaning. He gives these new meaning that, that really are still relevant for us 2,000 years later. They'd been eating unleavened bread as part of their Passover celebration because that was a symbol. If you remember back into the Old Testament, that was a symbol that they would be fleeing Egypt quickly. He said, you won't, God said, you won't have time for your bread to rise. You're going to have to eat unleavened bread. And so they were, they were eating this uh, un, unraised bread because it was a reminder when they left Egypt, they had to be running. And Jesus takes that bread that's part of the meal and he breaks it and he says, take this, this is my body. Now, obviously he doesn't mean this is my body because his body was present the moment that he was saying that this is my body, this, this is my body and this is my body. He's giving them this uh, bread. He doesn't mean it's actually becoming his body, but just like the, the bread had been a symbol of what they were doing back in Egypt all those years ago, now it's becoming a new symbol, this body that was given for us. It's a, a symbol that he is always going to be with them. Bread is always with us. We, we just have bread around all the time. And so he's saying, I'm, the, I'm this bread, and you're always going to have this kind of bread. And it's a symbol. It's a reminder. I'm always going to be with you. Uh, a writer named William Lane says, Jesus is first gift to his disciples is this pledge that he gives them about his abiding presence that in spite of their betrayal and his death, that he would always be with them. The first word anticipates resurrection and the celebration that they have at this first Eucharist, the first time they come together for communion or the Lord's table. So he's not just giving them bread to eat. He's giving them a promise, a promise of his continuing presence. And even still today, when we come to the Lord's table, we get that same assurance as well. It's this abiding ordinance that the church continues to do regularly so that we can be reminded of the sacrifice of Christ. We take the bread and we remember his body, his body was given for us. And we take it together and we think, man, his, his presence is still with us as a church. And then in the normal course of the meal, he takes the cup that they're going to be drinking, and he says, this is my blood. This is my blood of the, of the covenant that is poured out for many. And he calls this cup the blood of the covenant. Now, typically, when two parties come together in a covenant, they bind themselves together. Uh, each, each one has a responsibility. I will do this part. I will do this part. And they come together, and they make a promise, and they join together. But in this covenant, we only see one party making promises. Just like in Genesis 15, when God is originally giving the covenant, only God makes promises. Abraham's not making any promises at that point because God is taking on himself both sides of the covenant. God's taking on all of the terms. God says, I will be taking care of all of it. I just want to be in covenant with you. And so we have this cup of the blood that represents, or this, yeah, the cup of the blood that it represents the, the blood that will be spilled in just a few hours on the cross, and, and it represents this new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, J 
Jeremiah 31, this starts in verse 34. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one say to his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. He's promising this covenant that as we come with him, that our sin will be forgiven, that he's going to, through the Holy Spirit, be at work in our hearts so we know the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do and how we should be behaving. When we have the Holy Spirit and we read in the scripture and those things come alive to us and the, 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 the spirit of truth guides us into all truth so we can understand these things. It's a beautiful picture. And, and I'm honestly quite grateful that it's a covenant that God has promised to keep both sides of because I am so inconsistent in my own life that if I were supposed to be keeping half of this, it would never have happened. I, I just, I wouldn't be able to do it. So here we have at the table these hearts and then he would be forgiving us of our sins when i look up at the whole passage i i just come come away and think what are we supposed to do about about this really specific sort of story we can't um we can't we can't go back right and and find this guy that's carrying a water jug and we we can't go back and uh, be part of the first uh, Lord's Supper or any of these kinds of things. But I, I do think there are a few things that we uh, can do, and I think they're very important for us. The first one is this. Jesus knows the future, so you can trust him. Jesus knows the future, so you can trust him. Uh, I, think, I think that uh, the Edwards have, have sung before this uh, hymn for us when uh, the chorus says, Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. We, we can look at the uncertainty that's in the world about uh, just all that's going on, whether that's political turmoil or whether that's uh, medical stuff, or whether it's being separated from family, whether we think what's going to happen with my visa or we're thinking what's going to happen with my job or where, what, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. We can, we can be uh, overwhelmed by that turmoil. But I think passages like this allow us to feel confidence facing the unknown because Jesus is in control. We can trust him and he has what is best for us. We see that just over and over in, in, the, in the scripture. When, 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 he needs, when they need money, Jesus says, just go catch a fish and open his mouth and there's going to be a coin inside. It just You see those kinds of things all the time. We can, we can trust him. He knows what's going to happen. He wants what's best for you, and so you can trust him. I think that's the first big takeaway for us. Secondly, when we give into small sins, they have big consequences, right? I'm not saying that you'll become a person who will fall away and, and deny your faith, but we, we will 
probably understand that we've been walking with Christ for very long, that little sins, they really do harden our heart. Or sometimes you hear people say it sears the conscience and uh, we just will take a step and another step and another step and another step. And when the majority of our steps are leading us away, we will end up in a place that we never intended to be. And so giving in in the small sins will have big consequences in your life. Here's a great one. Jesus loves you even though you have failed. I think that's great, right? The disciples, they, he, he loves them and they fail, right? He starts the dinner by saying, you're going to fail me, right? You guys are going to, you're going to betray me. It's, it's just, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to think that he knows they're not going to measure up and yet he still loves them. And when we sometimes get into this place where we think I haven't measured up, I haven't done all that I should do. I haven't been who I should be. Me, 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 me. I think what we can see in the scripture is Jesus loves you even though you failed. He loves you even though you failed. You, you were created for a relationship with him and he wants to forgive you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to love you. He wants to walk with you day by day. You can do that today. So if you've, if you've never just come to him in this covenant sort of relationship and said, I believe you want the best for me. And so I just give myself to you then I would say, do that right now. Do that right now. Trust him and he will care for you to the very, to the very, very end. And then the last one is this. We have this symbolism of the Lord's Supper that is uh, really reminding us that he is coming again and that we are going to be together with him. It's God's, it's God's plan for us to be in a covenant relationship with him. And so we don't have to, we don't have to worry about um, changing the covenant into sort of a contract, right? The difference between a covenant and a contract, the covenant comes with these promises. Contract is just, if you do uh, one, two, and three, I'll do four, five, and six, and then we can do business together. Uh, we don't have to worry about constantly coming up with terms for the contract. And if you're honest, Probably you do that sometimes. Oh, Lord, if you'll just, oh, Lord, if you'll just help me during this one time, then I promise I won't do blank. Whatever that thing is, we, we get into this place where we bargain with God. And we're not supposed to be trying to rewrite that contract. We just, we come to him and we find life, the kind of life that we were meant to have. The, the Lord's table has this beautiful picture of uh, togetherness. And uh, these, these disciples gathered around the table. It's a big picture of uh, who we're supposed to be as a church. We're connected to one another. We uh, eat together. We worship together. We fellowship together. We serve together. We love one another. And we just keep on doing that as long as God gives us the opportunity. That's the picture I think that we get uh, from this. So Jesus, speaking to you, he knows your future. He loves you. He knows you're going to disappoint but still he wants to be right there at the table with you, gathered together, loving you, encouraging you, feeding you, and uh, ultimately giving you uh, eternal life because he takes away your sin and gives you all of his righteousness. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are grateful that uh, while the world just seems to spin out of control, that you um, 
Lord, you can look into a city that is swelled to five times its normal capacity. And uh, you can say, there's going to be one guy with a water jug. And uh, I want you to go find that one guy. What a beautiful picture, Lord, that uh, even in the mass of humanity and all that's going on, you can look down and you can just see one person. Lord, that uh, I'm not going to just, could you see a, a, a guy carrying a water jug? or a lady that was coming to a well thousands of years ago. But Lord, you can still look down and individually see us. And you love us. You care about us. You have a plan for us. And so we, we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be strong and to heed the warning that we see in the life of Judas, that uh, those little steps, the hardness of, of, of the heart that, uh, that really caused him to come to a place where, uh, where it was said that it would be better if he had never been born. Lord, we don't want to have that sort of, gradual hardening that turning away the wandering off like some uh, sheep where we want to stay faithful and true and consistent and so we pray that you would uh, help us to be all of those things father i pray for our families and i pray for our marriages i pray that you would help us as we a parent those of us who has kids and lord for those who are single and uh, lord looking forward to those days i pray that you would bless and provide for them and lord those who are single and um and not looking forward to those days maybe they're concerned whether those days will ever happen. We just pray that you would be enough for them during these times uh, as well. So thank you, God, for uh, our good health and the way that you've protected us. Thank you for uh, the way that you have provided. And we, we thank you for the way that you will provide. We pray that you would just bless the week that's to come and we uh, entrust ourselves to you. Lord, I pray you'd save people today that may be far from you. And even we'll come to this later on in a podcast or on YouTube or something. We'll watch it on Facebook. I pray that in one of those venues, Lord, that you would draw people to yourself. And I pray that you would show yourself faithful. Thank you for the love that you have for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.